live. I might can move it. Uh. <laughs> okay, are we live? Yeah, we're live. Cool. No, Good it's evening. Dennis Hopper. Oh, sorry. Okay. podcast. I'm here with Chance Pettigrew and Nick Bales, along with special guest Chris Bales. We'll be talking about film out. adaptations of books, games, older films, whatever pops up in the conversation. Was, Anybody got a place to start? That was good. That was real good. That was fast. That was an intro. Well, Chris, Chris, first off, why don't you, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? What you do? How, who you are? Hi, my name is Chris Kristoff. <laughs> As Nick said, uh, what do you do? Are you an artist? Is that what you are? Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm a professional gay boy, and uh, I draw sometimes. He is gay, and he does draw every once in a while. Those are two things that happen. Hey everyone, just interjecting here real quick. It's editor Nick. Um, just wanted to say that Chris is an artist. He does genuinely good work. He did the picture for the podcast. You can follow him on Twitter, uh, at Crispito underscore, at C-H-R-I-S-P-Y-T-O underscore, and follow him on uh, Twitch at the same thing. Thank you, guys. Hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Welcome to the stream. It's a little... Clean shit and piss out of a closet too. Same, except it's not <laughs> out of the closet. It's off the ceiling. Uh, it's everywhere, pretty much. Great intro. Great. <laughs> Sorry, today's a little. Uh... Today's a little funky. <laughs> it's a little funky. Everybody's real tired for some reason. Nick and Chris, professional ass wipers. <laughs> a chance used to be professional ass wipers. Professional wiper. ass wiper. Now he's a now professional uh... teeth wiper. <laughs> Except I don't wipe any teeth. I spend literally all day doing office stuff. So really? Making, oh, yeah. I've been doing the last two weeks. I've been, uh, well, for the last week, I've been going through this, like, week that my uh, doctor and her husband are on vacation. And we, for whatever reason, had a bunch of people scheduled for appointments this whole time they're gone. And they, everyone has known that they're going to be gone for, like, months, right? So I had to call all of these people and be like, hey, so uh, we're not going to be open. Uh, is this a good day to stick you in? No? Okay, how about this day? No? All right. Uh, let me call you back uh, when I have a better idea of what I'm doing here. You've just been scheduling all day. Scheduling and checking medical histories, all kinds of just front office stuff, which is fine. I I think the two types of job I never wanted ever in my life was like a typical office job and like food service. I never ever in my life want to work in food service. It's definitely worse than office work. I I I feel that so hard. I don't want either of them. <laughs> Chance, you worked at Subway, right? Yeah, and Jimmy John's and Chuck E. Cheese. Chris, what up? You 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 worked for like maybe two days in food service, right? You worked at the. I worked for two days as a dishwasher at Ball State, <laughs> and I was, was like, that? "Fuck this! I'm not doing it." And I, 
Honestly, a dishwasher doesn't. I traded it out for a job at a customer service call center. <laughs> of course, that was a decent job until you got yelled at. Dude, I that was the worst first day on the job ever. I actually broke down and like cried and was sick in the bathroom. I love... It took quite a few days up uh, subway before that happened to me. <laughs> I love the juxtaposition of. That was an okay job until you got yelled at. That was the worst first day of a job ever. Oh, yeah. It was so bad. Because I got the most angry parent ever on the on the phone on my first, my first day, and I didn't know what I was doing because they give you, like, two days of training, and they're like, all right, you know everything. Sounds Go like, work. Sounds like Hillcroft. Yeah. I probably so I should... didn't know how to use the system, and I oh, had somebody yelling yeah. at me, and... It was great. Probably shouldn't call out the actual company we work at. That may go badly. Life touch school photos, people. You have a, a shitty business. <laughs> you can call them out. I still work here. <laughs> uh, so uh, who wants to start today? Who has Who has the most interesting one to talk about? I think mine's pretty standard. Yeah, yours, you probably got a lot to talk about, though. Well, I have lots of movies. Well, I I could start mine off with just the pretty light, because um, it's just Percy Jackson, a lightning thief. I think yeah. most teenagers at some point, if not the Percy Jackson series, read a Royerden series. Yeah, 100%. Uh, my favorite is uh, the the newer one that came out, Magnus Chase, because it's Norse mythology. That one is pretty good. I've only read ninety percent of the first book, though. Sadly. Uh, interesting. If you haven't read the Magnus Chase series, Magnus Chase is Annabelle Chase's cousin. Annabelle Chase is from the Percy Jackson series, but they're completely different god pantheons. So it's very interesting how everything's interconnected. Well, hmm. it needs to do one series that's just an entire, all of the different realms, all the characters that he's made for all the different book series come together in one ultimate shindig of a... Could you, could you imagine? Because Percy Jackson is the, the Greek version specifically, right? Yes. <laughs> so, like, could you imagine if... There was also a Roman version, and they got together, and it's just like that actually happened. You're me. Did it really? <laughs> yeah. That's great. They're, they're... I never read the books, and I only ever saw the first movie. So, uh, I think it was in the second series that Percy was in, but it wasn't like named after him. Yeah. Um, where they like you're getting some audio buzz there, right, Nick? I think. Damn. I hope it's not happening in stream. It's just this mic gets a little buggy. I still have to get another new one because this is just my old one. Is it still going on? One sec, I'm gonna check stream. Okay, let me. Give me a second. It's on stream. Which is slightly unfortunate. It's not like loud, but it it's there. So like. I don't know. Yeah, wasn't the second series uh is it a little better now? Based in the 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 Roman mythology 
but Percy Jackson had like lost his memory or something and they couldn't figure out who his godparent was because it wasn't any of their gods or something. Yeah. Am I still buzzing, by the way? No, it, it's not. I don't hear it at the moment. Okay. Yeah, it was... And there it went. <laughs> Maybe I should just switch back to my webcam mic for Ugh. now. I have no idea. <sighs> Fuck. Creakly cracklies. Hey, it wouldn't. It would. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be us boys without. Save up, Nick, and get yourself a, a quadcast like the one I've got. It's pretty good. Is it still buzzing? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Save up and get yourself a one of them $20 Dell microphones. It's just the little... Hey, go to CVS. You get a CVS mic. And you're just talking to a little stick like, hey, how's it going? Um, what was... Oh, I don't remember what those were called. What are you looking for? Oh. Never mind, I got it. I wonder, I, I genuinely wonder if this brand is actually good at all. Because they've just got the funkiest looking microphones I've ever mm. seen in my life. Yeah, it's working now, there's just a lot of background crap. Not surprised. Let me see if this... Ugh... <sighs> Helps uh, indeed. Oh, that's a new one. See if that helps at all. I think it, it should. Help. You guys can hear me in Discord, right? Yes. Right, I think I can go ahead and talk about stuff now. Um, yeah, you sound pretty clear, so yeah. I well, that's so. good. <laughs> uh, so some of the differences in the book and in the series like the movie series or I guess just the first movie the second movie actually introduces some parts from the first mo book um, that weren't in the first movie so like the second movie retroactively was like Maybe we should throw this part from the book in so things actually make more sense. Um, but the first movie kind of didn't make a whole lot of sense when it came to the characters. In fact, um, you guys have seen the first movie, right? Yes. Percy Jackson? Yes. Yes. Okay, hold on. I can hear my... Close my door. Oh. Close my door, too. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. Oh, I sat on my balls. Oh, fuck. Oh, heck okay? yeah, dude. Um, so you know the Medusa scene from the movie? Vaguely, yes. Yes. Where he, like, uses his iPod touch reflection mm -hmm. to turn yeah, his... Yeah. Okay. In the book... None of the campers are allowed to have electronics because they attract monsters. They attract enemies. Mm -hmm. 
But in the movie, they just completely forego that fact. And they're like, yeah, Percy has an iPod touch because brand placement. Yeah, didn't the didn't the son of Artemis or, or not Artemis, uh Luke? Yeah, Luke. Didn't he have like an entire gaming yeah, setup he, in the movie? He had what the heck is that? And he had all kinds of electronics in his tent. So technically monsters in the movie should have been attacking that camp constantly. Yeah. There's a, just in uh in the movie, like the first person Percy kind of fights is the bur the bully of the camp. I said burry. The burry of the camp. Are you gonna say burry. bird? Um Squawk. Clarissa is kind of like the bully of the camp. Um mm -hmm. and Annabelle is like you know, within in the first book they're just kind of becoming friends. Like they're twelve in the book. Everyone yeah. like all the main characters are like twelve years old. In the movie, they're like, like 15, 15 16. 16 years old. And at the end of the first movie, they kiss. Annabelle and Percy do. And it's like, mm -hmm. all right, in the book, you're 12 years old. And you're not even like friends yet. You're just. They don't even get old. close to kissing until like what? The sixth book? Yeah, they get like, it's pretty well, far into the series. I'm sure that was done because of the, the audience that the filmmakers were going for. Yeah, and that that's kind of what I was get, getting to was like... Audience demographics. When it comes to movies, you can't go as slow with things as you do in the books. And you every single movie, for some reason, has to have like a romantic subplot. That isn't we'll about the We'll get to that action. with my topic. Yeah. <laughs> um... So it's kind of it just and it almost takes away from the actual story of the Percy Jackson series when you know they're not twelve years old and they're they're sixteen and they're kissing and they're already like falling in love. It kind of takes away from it because it could have been like a Harry Potter series, like we get to see them grow from children into these, like adult demigods that are crazy strong mm. that's a really good point too because it came out after the harry potter series was at the very least in progress i don't know if it had been completely finished or not yet but like they could have easily just ridden the coattails of <laughs> harry potter yeah and like a long series that takes time People like that, but no, we're gonna go fast. We're gonna go it, well. That's what happened with Aragon too. Was it was yeah. just, and Chance will talk more about that. I won't go into that because that's his topic. But they just took a book, a, a very long book series that was really good, and condensed it into the shitty garbage pile that nobody liked. Um, some of the other stuff that was different, so. In the like fight scene, the final fight scene with Luke of the movie, right? Percy mm -hmm. uses the shoes, the flying shoes that he was given by Luke to fight mm -hmm. him. In the book, the shoes that looked that Luke gave him, first off, in the book, Percy uh, Poseidon warns Percy that a son of Poseidon in the sky is not a good idea. Yeah. Makes and, Zeus matter, and he wants to smite him, right? Yeah. And also, in the book, 
the shoes are rigged to drag the wearer down to Tartarus instead of actually working. They're just, they're rigged to kill Percy, basically. Um, but in the movie, they're just like, yeah, a cool scene where they're flying around on fucking Converse shoes. That's sick. I mean, it is sick, but... It's not part of the story. Like, it, it kind no. of takes away. Well, and also, that in that final fight scene, they're kind of hurling Zeus's master bolt at each other. Yep. In the book, they never use that shit. No. Like, and I think the whole part is, like, for Percy to fly in the sky and also use Zeus's master bolt, the tools of two separate gods that aren't presided is kind of seen as a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Because the whole, like, Poseidon is, like, good at the ocean, and, like, Percy is seen as a good sailor and good at surviving on the seas, which is why in the Sea of Monsters, the next book, he's, like, the perfect person to go on this quest, which is sailing all around the world. In the first movie, where they do all this you know, throwing the Master Bolt, flying in the sky shit, it just kind of contradicts some of the some of the shit from the book that is really good. Also, some of the enemies aren't there in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, in the first book, Percy kind of meets all of the, like, main enemies. He, meet, he meets Cerberus. He doesn't fight Cerberus, but he yeah. meets him in, in the underworld. Uh, he meets all of... Uh, shit, what are those things called? Things. There's three stuff. of them. The Sisters of Fate? Well, he doesn't meet them either. I think he meets one of them. But the, the Harpies? Is that what they're called? Oh, yeah. The, the, the Furies? The, the Leather Fury, The Sirens? Yeah, those things. He meets one of okay. those. And that the one he met was his teacher. But in the book, he meets all three of them. And he meets all of these, like, like important ancient Greek enemies and fights them. Um, one of the other things I found funny, is the difference is, like, in the book, there's so much more to figuring out that Percy is the son of Poseidon. Oh, yeah. In and in the, the movie, they just tell him, right? They just... Yeah, and in the movie, they just tell him... And it's kind of like Percy is good at Percy is good at holding his breath underwater in the movie. Yeah, doesn't he doesn't he hold his breath underwater for like twenty five minutes or something yeah. in the movie? And the dude's just like, Oh, you're pretty good at that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's just like, by the way. Like in the book there's like actually some difficulty with Percy like accidentally attacking people with water when he doesn't know what the fuck is going on. He's like, Why are you flying out and attacking this person? And in the movie, it's just like, Oh, he's good at being he's good at water. He's good at holding breath underwater. <laughs> he's good at being a person that's in water sometimes. <laughs> in the in the books his power was manifesting uh with his emotions, right? So when someone would make him mad, something would happen. Yeah. Like, a bathroom would flood, or, like, I think on the field trip, the water in the fountain jumped out and grabbed the girl and yeah. pulled her into the water. 
Like, it was all he didn't know what was going on. It was just accidental. And in the movie, it's just like, he could hold breath. Yeah. Kind of fucking lame. Um, also, the character differences. Like, Annabelle in the movie is kind of an angry, competitive yeah. person. And in the book, she's she's a 12-year-old girl. Of course, she's, you know, a little bit competitive and a little bit angry against yeah. Percy. But she's, in the movie, she fucking, you know, when they're doing Capture the Flag, she's, like, killing this dude. She's, like, crazy. Yeah. And in the book, that never happens. Also, Grover, who was one of my favorite characters in the book. In the book, yes. His growth was crazy. But in the yeah. movie, like, in the book, he's this shy, kind of scared creature in the first book, right? He's a little mm -hmm. timid. In the movie, he's like this playboy, like yeah. outgoing, hits on women all the time kind of guy. And it's Which like one the, is that? Grover is the 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 satyr, I believe. Oh, okay. The okay, the one that talks to Percy all like, "Hey, you got good good breath." Yeah, you got good breath. <laughs> you got good lungs. <laughs> gotcha. It's been years since I've seen the movie, and like I said, I've never read the books, so it's gonna. I'm gonna be a little slow on <laughs> keeping up with some characters' names. Well, and in the book, the people who are in charge of the camp are Chiron, I believe, and Dionysus. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the movie, Dionysus is never there. Yeah, like he does. He's not in charge of the camp. Uh, you do see him in that like end scene where in the where there we see the throne room of the gods, but he's never at the camp where in the book that's where he's supposed to be. I think that was like a punishment or something. In the book, was making Dionys Dionysus in charge of this camp. Yeah, he he had uh, chased around a wood nymph that Zeus didn't agree about, and he was sentenced yeah. to be in charge of the camp for a couple millennia or something. And also in the book, the way um, Annabeth, by the way, I've been saying Annabelle the whole time. Her name is Annabeth. Yeah. Uh, An Annabeth uh, meets Percy when she is nursing him back to health after mm -hmm. the Minotaur attack. Yep. Because he's, you know, he gets to the camp, but a Minotaur attacks him you know he fights it and gets hurt i halfway expected you to stop at nursing him oh god just not even no. continue to back to hell she's just nursing him it was just like that's a bit odd but you know i'm not gonna judge it's a greek mythology book so makes sense in the movie they meet because annabeth is like showing him around the camp with grover and then the second time you yeah, see Annabeth is when that. she's, like, killing him during Capture the Flag. So the character differences in the story is way different from the book. Um, and it's one of those where you can see why fans of the book would be pissed off at the movie series. Or the two movies they released in the series. Because I think they only did... Uh, I think they only did the two. The Monsters. Well, and... You know, that's that's... A good thing that google can help with uh percy jackson movies how about that yep there are only two yeah they, they didn't go any further because nobody liked them. people who actually read the book the people they were trying to appeal to 
didn't like the movies because they were so goddamn different from the book series. It's it's similar with um, Narnia. I don't know if you guys have read the Narnia. Narnia. I never I read the books, is... but I I always heard that they were not quite. I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it is quite different from the movie. I think that's kind of an overall theme with um, book to other media adaptations, is Most because time, yeah. a, a lot of the time you're trying your co- movie making companies are trying to sell their film based on two things: the source material they're using and demographics for general audience moviegoers at the time so when when you have the source material that people know and love and you try to shoehorn all of this like extra stuff that's like popular in movies at the time like plot points and stuff it's mm-hmm. on you you have to do it very carefully or you'll alienate both audiences yeah. that you're going for and they kind of alienated both in in percy jackson um uh, yeah like if they had started and i think amazon or netflix is creating a narnia series um that is actually starting from the first book lion the witch in the wardrobe was not the first book in the narnia series uh yeah, the first that's... book was called the magician's nephew and it was mm-hmm. very good and it was pretty much it's the creation book yeah and it was pretty much about the creation of narnia like it, yeah. it was an amazing book. Uh, honestly, if that world had a book of Genesis like the Bible does, it's that book. <laughs> and honestly, it was my favorite book. I read all of them, and, and it, the Magician's Nephew was my favorite. It had so much, you know, great characters and 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 story and background for the world and the atmosphere too for the like um, the queen. Where the ice, uh, the ice queen came from, and that she turned into is just like it's. A, it, there's like a whole bunch of mystery to it with that book, and yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, and and you mentioned the book of Genesis, and you know, it pretty much was his like his Genesis, his yeah. story. He was um, C.S. Lewis. Most people know was very very heavily Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he was actually in a book club with Tolkien, which he is was pretty cool. And a few other writers at the time, yeah, that aren't as famous. Um, quick point about the what is it? The magician's nephew. Yeah. Um, the magician's nephew was one, two, three, the sixth book to be released in the series. Really? But it was a prequel that took place mm-hmm. before all the others. Ah. Uh, see, I didn't know that. I thought it was the first written. Yeah. yeah. The way um, I read them, we had a a, a bookcase of all of the Narnia yeah. books, and my parents. It was the had, first one in the case. Yeah, set. I guess my parents had just put that one first in the case set because. Well, it, it makes sense to me in my mind now because that one. It's like world building is very well developed. Yeah. So it, it's clearly looking back on it, he's a more experienced author with that particular book. Yeah. And so that, and, and <laughs> that's kind of funny that you say that because the first, at the very least, the first six books, actually all seven books, were released 
each year from 1950 mm-hmm. to 1956. So, like, he only had, like, five extra years of writing experience <laughs> with that book but compared to the I, first one. But I think after your first book release, you, you start to understand what audiences oh, are looking for. So once 100%. people respond to your book and tell you what they liked about it, suddenly you're like, oh, okay. So this is what I need to put into the next one. And it just gets better and better. <laughs> I'm not sure what I like. I'm not sure I like what I'm seeing. In just this slapping noise. I'm shaking up my Yoohoo. <laughs> slap, 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 slap. Um, how many, Chris, you may be able to answer this. How many books did Tolkien write before he got to his big series, Lord of the Rings, um, The Hobbit? Which well, the, the Hobbit was originally released as a children's book, right? Yeah, The Hobbit was a children's book uh, that he just wrote for his kids. He he wrote it for his kids to tell them at bedtime, and that's why. Um, and it was it was much different than the current one we have now. Uh, but he released what what he did was um, he had this children's story, and he he was in the middle of writing The Lord of the Rings. He because Tolkien was all about world building and language and history. He was a really big language and history nerd. So he he wanted to work that he wanted to make this fairy story, a fantasy story for adults, which was weird at the time. Adults didn't really read fiction that way, and uh, he had already written his children's story and started writing Lord of the Rings, and he retooled The Hobbit. Um, to fit into the Lord of the Rings story and re-released The Hobbit before the Lord of the Rings series to get people interested in Lord of the Rings. So I guess you could say Tolkien was literally like the father of modern... Oh, he is, definitely. Well, yeah. High fantasy would not be what it is now if Tolkien never wrote his books. I'll say that's a pretty widely accepted thing we haven't we wouldn't have D D, bro yeah i i don't think it i don't Most think it would D&D be is actually pretty from what i understand is actually pretty directly inspired by tolkien's writings well and, and tolkien like create like he, <clears throat> he did release two books before the hobbit uh he released an english vocabulary book and uh, a a song book. Song book. Yeah, songs for the philologist, biologist. So he wrote one called jo- what? George and the Magic Sword, or George and the Dragon, or whatever. George and the Magic Peach. <laughs> James. He James. did. Um, he did do some takes on classic Arthurian legend. <clears throat> okay. Um, he did. Uh, Sir Gawain. Let me see what else. <clears throat> there's a, there's a few of them. I just had pulled up a list of his his books. A lot of stuff he did too was purely technical writing because he was a Oxford professor. I think. Which, I think yeah. it was Oxford. He was a professor. Makes sense. So a lot of he's a language professor. So a lot of them was essays about language or about 
um, fantasy stories themselves. He did like a few things based on, yeah, Arthurian legends, some uh, things based on Beowulf stories. And then just like pure world building writings and whatnot. A lot of his stuff was released posthumously by his son. So a lot of the extra world building things that aren't Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit that are in that Tolkien, that Middle Earth universe have been were released after his death. So like the Salmarillion and Children of Hurin, mm-hmm. those were released by Christopher. I that's think his name right? Christopher Tolkien. I think the Salmarillion a few of them were edited and released by Christopher Tolkien while J.R.R. was still alive. But yeah, some some of them like there's there's just you can just buy books of um, stories he wrote that were never got finished and they just published what he had. So in in relation to the book and the movies, how accurate is the Lord of the Rings series first off to the book? Well, it's it's pretty accurate. The Lord of the Rings is anyways. Um and it's not I don't I think it's unfair to compare accuracy when like doing mediums. You have source material, but they're they're fundamentally two different experiences. When you read a book, you you have the theater of the mind. So it's being described to you, but whatever you can imagine is how it looks in your head. Um, when you have um, a movie, there's a specific style. Somebody else's vision is being played out in front of you. So I, I feel like it's it's a little unfair to compare the two. Plus, the way books are written, you can get out a lot more detail and a lot more rich storytelling, I believe. I also want to bring up, I think the mark of a good adaptation is when the characters from the movies replace the vision of the characters in the yeah. books when you read yeah. them again. Like like with Harry Potter, when I reread Harry Potter, it was Daniel Radcliffe that I was imagining. I was like, okay, that's the character that I love from the movies. He fits mm-hmm. so well into this series that that's all I mm-hmm. can imagine in the books now. Yeah, well, with Aragorn. Oh God! Potter, they did a really good job casting those kids. They did they well, did. And, and Lord of the Rings. And everyone, too. they did a great job with well, casting yeah. Lord of the Rings too. Yeah, and I feel like the the local actors they used fit the world really well. Well, and honestly, even when you get into the Hobbit, the casting was good on that movie well, too. The casting from the first movie was there. Yeah, some of it. But the the Hobbit has a lot of problems with it, to me, anyways. The Hobbit was, was very not, controversial. It was very convoluted and very controversial, mm-hmm. and they 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 were trying to bank on nostalgia from the original trilogy a lot, rather than just try and make a good adaptation. Yeah. Well, do you, <laughs> do you want to get into what made the Hobbit so controversial and? Well, it had to do with the the studio that picked it up because it was Warner Brothers who had the had the rights to it at the time, and uh, they were going to have a completely different director 
do it. They they were actually looking at um, Guillermo del Toro to do an adaptation. Oh my! Of the Hobbit, which would have been freaking amazing if he had a, a chance to. Yeah. But they their talks were weird and like payment wasn't correct, and he was going to do it in a completely different place, and uh, it, it defaulted back to Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson didn't really want to direct The Hobbit. He was like, I had enough with Lord of the Rings. It's too much stress to deal with. But nobody else was going to do it. And plus, the the Lord of the Rings movie series is a, a huge, huge point of pride for the people of New Zealand as as a nation. Because mm-hmm. it's like the most, they're, they're most famous thing from New Zealand ever. Well, the, so, even their, their airline video mm-hmm. had... Uh, what was his name? The guy that played Frodo. Why do I forget? It his had name? Elijah Wood in it. It had Elijah Wood in it as this very tiny man sitting in an airplane seat. Yeah, that that, that was funny. It had a it had a scene of Elijah Wood looking incredibly annoyed while a a neckbeard mouth breathed at him. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. But since it was such a huge point of pride for New Zealand. That's that became a, a big sticking point in the movie because the the people of New Zealand lobbied so hard to get the movie to stay with production in New Zealand because, you know, Lord of the Rings without New Zealand is like not it's not it's not Middle Earth. Well, and, New Zealand is Middle Earth. And yeah, and just, even the fans think that mm-hmm. even hardcore fans of, of the Lord of the Rings they see New Zealand as Middle Earth. There's no... so It's because the, just... the very terrain and it's just absolutely gorgeous country. But they were lobbying hard, the New Zealand people, uh, trying to get Warner Brothers to keep the production into New Zealand. And that part of that was Peter Jackson because he wanted to keep it in New Zealand. And that, that created a bunch of problems with the country itself and the studio. And I think the story suffered from all that controversy and stuff that the studio was doing. There was a little bit of that with Lord of the Rings. The first one, they were able to get around it, though. It just happened um, with The Hobbit. The studio meddled with it so much and kept adding extra things that didn't need to be there. It became bloated and... Well, who was the first, who who was the studio that did Lord of the Rings? Did it change when it came to that? That movie? was Peter Jackson's personal studio. Really, the personal studio that he owned in New Zealand is the one that filmed Lord of the Rings. Wow. The production company that funded them, funny enough, was New Line Cinema, which was owned by Harvey Weinstein at the time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> And there, there was a some controversy with Harvey Weinstein. They were going to fire Peter Jackson and replace him with Quentin Tarantino, which would have been a massively different film. Oh God, that would have been awful. There's actually a kind of funny story. They they got around like having to work with Weinstein on things, and they made a jab at him in Return of the King. Really. Uh, you know the uh, the one really deformed orc that's commanding all the other orcs around. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, in the in the big battle, he he um he's modeled after Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> he, he looks like Harvey Weinstein. That's incredible, <laughs> and that that aged well too. That aged yeah. really well. <laughs> it's still a massive fuck you to Harvey Weinstein. 
It is. Um, That's the unfortunate. But that the Lord of the Rings itself, that that trilogy was more of a passion project. It was something Peter Jackson wanted to do, and he got the production companies onto it. And it was mostly sold on the the fact that it was an adaptation of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, and the fact that it was such a ridiculously massive undertaking. Everyone thought it would be impossible to make a film adaptation of those, and and it'd be good. Fun fact, by the way, the people who made a lot of those swords, a lot of the like main weapons for Lord of yep. the Rings, are from Indiana. And our mom was friends from, with their mom. They're from Newcastle, yeah. actually. They, it was called, crazy. Uh, their workshop at the time was called Mad Dwarf Workshop, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom was friends with their mom. And so when I was really into blacksmithing and I wanted to like get into it, I tried getting a hold of Mad Dwarf Workshop, the guys who ran it. And I was like, Hey, do you guys still live in Indiana? Sadly, the two guys that kind of ran it split up. Oof. And the main guy who still does blacksmithing Rough. lives like across the country. He still does it, um, but it's like all the way across the country. I think they also did Thor's hammer for the Marvel hammers. They made um they made some of the armor for 300 too, I think. That's impressive. Very impressive. Yeah, they have a, a very impressive rap sheet, and it's just cool that I have a personal connection to them somehow. I will be. I don't right think it back. was full production. I think it was they designed and made the prototypes. Possibly. They were probably. And then, and because they needed so many of the things, it would be difficult to ship them from yeah. Indiana to New Zealand. <laughs> so it was a situation of they designed and made prototypes for it, and then the production company revised it. Well, made and, the actual stuff. And with Lord of the Rings, the whole point of using the real swords was to make it more realistic, right? Yeah. Sound more realistic, you know, less of the... Well, that, that's with any movie that has weapons in it. They, you know, try and make it look as, like, act like an actual sword would, so you use an actual sword. You just gotta learn how to fight with it so you don't, you know, stab somebody accidentally. <laughs> Are you a fan of Lord of the Rings, Chance? Yeah. Uh, did you know that, like, with the elves, they were actually trained to walk completely differently than normal humans? Yeah. Like, they had a choreographer come in and be like, all right, this is how the elves have to walk. All of you have to learn how to do this. I think just the amount of effort that was put into it. Was, it was a stupid, crazy amount of, like, attention to detail mm-hmm. that everyone put into it. But it's befitting of Tolkien, because that's what he did with his books. Tolkien was, he he as a writer is interesting to me. Just because of the way he does things. He he writes books um, based on the perception. Uh, Like, the main characters of the books, if they don't know um, information, he doesn't give it to you in the book. It's first person. Um, yeah, it, it's so it's like perspective of the characters, which but also he kind of breaks his own rules a little bit because he will go off on these tangents telling stories about you know random things that happened in the world, which 
to the characters would be common knowledge just because it's what they grew up with, the characters. But, um, you know, it's, it's like not necessary to the story at hand. He's just world building, giving you extra information at the time. Oh. It's also uh, f has a, a framing mechanism that you don't, that's kind of subdued and not really, <clears throat> not really like presented as this big thing. It's um, the Lord of the Rings books are, they're framed as if they are being translated into English from a different, a different language, a different time period. So all of the the names that you hear are translations from this fantastical different language. Sorry, I just uh, it's not it. Frodo's name probably isn't actually Frodo. It's you know something else. But I finally opened back up my stream and read mm -hmm. chat, and the first chat I see is I love this podcast. It is every stage of beard growth. Who <laughs> <laughs> said that? Polar knights. I I don't know who they are. Actually. Oh yeah. Lily brings up Peter. It was all Peter Jackson directing Lord of the Rings was a huge like people were scared about it at the time because he he was known for making like comedy horror slasher flicks. I've actually never seen Dead Alive. You know what we need to do? Mm. We need to do uh, our, <laughs> our Patreon thing that I just set up. We need to do movie reactions to things that we haven't seen i think we need to make chance watch the super mario movie and have him react to it oh yeah that's good because <laughs> that was a god-awful film well in context of mario is a god-awful film in context of movie it was okay wasn't bad it wasn't great there um it was because of the directors that they chose to direct the film the do you know who the directors for that movie were who the the it was a husband and wife couple who created max headroom the uh pepsi ad that i don't know oh. if you know who max headroom is yeah i know but they they had this they had this very specific vision and way they wanted to do things and there was like a pretty decent um like a really solid script made for the Mario movie but the the directors threw up such a fuss about it they did all these rewrites and turned it into what it was and like the the script that the actors had agreed to had became completely uh unrecognizable hmm. uh, by the time they came into film i think it's the biggest takeaway from these movie adaptations is that if if people outside of, you know, the circle of people who really want to create it get too involved, it ends up fucking it over pretty hardcore. Mm -hmm. I think um, some of the actors for the Harry Potter movie had never read any of the books. The guy who played Snape, I think, didn't didn't read any of them until all of the movies were out or something. Yeah, they some of them didn't read it, but Tom the... Felton had never even heard of Harry Potter until the audition. But but the people who were involved in the creation of the movie and the writing of the script had read the books. So it was still very good. 
In fact, when some of the kids hadn't read the books, they got yelled at by the production crew because they were like, these are your characters. You got to read the books. And they were given homework to write letters and like apology things. And, you know, when they got in trouble and stuff like that as characters, as their character. So like they were given assignments and it was like, all right, uh, Rupert, you need to write as if you're Ron. Uh, Daniel, you need to write as if you're Harry. Emma, you need to write as if you're Hermione. Um, and I thought it was funny because Harry and Hermione, uh, Daniel and Emma, wrote theirs. And then Rupert didn't. Yeah, Rupert his. didn't, and he said it was part of character. Yeah, he was like, I just figured Ron wouldn't write his. I just figured he wouldn't do his own work. That's actually a funny point. Um, Tom Felton, who played Draco Malfoy, he actually got the role because he hadn't read the books. Really? They showed up to the audition, and all the kids were asked, like, what their favorite scene from the books was. And he he was sitting there like, I hadn't I hadn't read them. I don't know. I don't know what happens. And so the kid that goes right before him says some, I think it was something about, like, Quidditch or something. And Tom was like, oh, yeah, that Quidditch was really good. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like... That's definitely Malfoy. <laughs> That's <laughs> definitely Draco. Um, and Chance, what were you going to talk about today? Uh, Aragon. Hit it, my brother. Uh, have we all seen the movie? I have. And played the video game. And read the books. <laughs> nope. All right. I know none of the above. Oh, that's rough. Well, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> the book was fantastic. The movie was awful. I'm looking at the uh, cast for the movie right now. The best actor in there is John Malkovich, I think. At least as far as who I know. Who is John Malkovich? Uh, who did he play? Galbatorix. Galbatorix. Oh. He was the, the, the Mad King guy. Oh. Um... Also, uh, Brom, they, they did decent with Brom, but again, another situation where I feel like the actor was almost too old to portray yeah. the character, and, and something that I think is just a general issue with book adaptations is you can't do movies easily for a book, right? I feel like a TV show or, or a TV series of some sort is much more. It's a longer format. You can yeah, get more into you can detail. Get more into it, yeah. Um, the only way to really do an adaptation that way is the way the Harry Potter did it. Yeah. They still, it wasn't perfectly It wasn't perfect by any means, no. But for a movie, you can't be, unless you want to make it a six-hour long movie. Aragon got a lot of uh, crap for being very Lord of the Rings-esque but like of course it's gonna I mean he was pretty young when he wrote these books right he was like 17 mm. when he wrote the first one or something yeah well the, the end of the last book is pretty much a blatant ripoff of Lord of the Rings yeah also true the boat uh, sailing into the west scene. I thing. also was not satisfied with the ending. I felt like there were a lot of questions it's, that went yeah, unanswered. It was very disappointing. Oh, 
Also, sorry, this goes to get people who started writing young. Did you know Oda, the creator of One Piece, started mm-hmm. writing One Piece when he was 17? Really? And this man has been on the grind. Jeez, he just stuck with it. He didn't care. He's like, whatever, nah. Um, so, uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave okay. their... Um, Keep going, sorry. I was responding to chat. Rotten Tomatoes gave the Aragon movie a 16%. That's a big oof, in my opinion. Oof. I, I mean, I agree with it. I can't say... I, I do, too. No, 100%. Awful. Uh, here's something you won't believe. Uh, maybe you will, just because of how popular the books were. Um... For Aragon grossed $249 million worldwide. It had a hundred thousand or wait, hundred hundred million dollar budget. So it, it did almost two and a half times its budget in sales, which I am surprised by because it was such a god awful movie, but yeah. people were so into the book that they went to see the movie and it made all of its money, I think, opening weekend. A good chunk of it, at the very least. I like how the IMDb page, the first thing it compares it to is the water horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it earned, it earned $150 million of its $250 million open opening weekend. Damn. Yeah. Uh, also, update on it, the author, Christopher Paulini, tweeted hashtag Aragon remake in 2021, trying to get Disney, who now owns the, the intellectual rights holders of it, uh, to do a, a TV adaptation. Uh, there's no say in here whether that's even in the works, but apparently the, uh, the hashtag was trending for quite a while. I hope they do. Yeah, because Disney could do, do it right. right. Yeah. Disney certainly has the money to do it right. And my biggest issue, I feel like, with the movie was, like, the the CGI, the special effects wasn't bad. A lot of the design wasn't bad. There were some parts where I was like, eh, you didn't go deep enough with that, or eh, you went way too in-depth with that, and it was not necessary. It was just... The, some of the the lines and the acting were kind of bad. The, the dragon looked fantastic as far and, as, you know, for the time, 2006. Yeah. I remember at the time, the, the my biggest gripes I had with the movie were, um, well, I forgot what they're called, the two um, bird-like creatures. The Razak. The Razak. Those guys, and then there's the Shade. Their characters in the movie yeah. were so terrible. So awful, yep. Well, I, Where in, uh, in the books they were written as these like mysterious dark characters that mm-hmm. you don't fully know everything about them. Um, they they tried to do that with the uh, with the movies, but I feel like the Razak were way over designed and kind of presented as like slasher film monsters mm. rather than what they actually rather are. than what they are. And well, I the shade was just a, a comical. Uh, villain yeah oh I, it, they they did so bad with that guy 
Well, I remember my biggest gripe when I watched the movie after reading the books is I think I read through all of the books before mm-hmm. I watched the movie. Um, was just that they squished all of it down. Yeah. It, it all felt it, so rushed. Oh, yeah, the, the several years that Aragon spent raising... Sephira? <laughs> raising Nobody, Sephira. Like a minute. Oh, I'm just going to release her into the sky. Bang. Full yeah, dragon. she literally flies up as a baby, comes down massive and they They don't bill it as a time skip. They bill it as an instant trans, like transformation. Yeah. So The it flying was... kick-started it into... Well, yeah, it like hatches like... and bang dragon. We're full on now <laughs> they legitimately just had all of the books and i don't know if this had something to do with them starting the movie and then writers you know quitting or something happening where they had to rush it um, well i think he was in the middle of writing the third book when the movies came really yeah so like the end of the uh of the movie gabletorix is still it's like a cliffhanger yeah because they thought it was going to be the next Harry Potter, next Lord of the Rings type deal. Except it was awful. They didn't even make the dwarfs short. The dwarf <laughs> is like five foot four. He's like three inches shorter than Aragon. Well, <laughs> not everybody can be Lord of the Rings, dude. Not everybody can play with the campus. Well, no, but it could have been its own. Then also, too, with Aragon, um, I think... The entirety of the second and a lot of the third book was just like Aragon pissing around in the elves' woods, yeah, like doing uh, whatever. Yeah, I think the third book, a, a big portion of that, he was in the elves' woods, and just for I most actually, of it, he's just kind of doing like nothing of importance. When I uh originally read through Eldest, Eldest is my least favorite book in the series, by the way. Uh, I read all of the cousin stuff. Roran, I believe his name was. Mm-hmm. All of the stuff that followed him. Anytime I read through the series after that, I skipped those chapters. I did not care about the cousin. <laughs> I think the best that? part of the all of the books was the Siege of the Dwarven City. Yes. that That's the best part of that entire series. Honestly, yeah. my favorite part of the series was... Um, Aragon getting his sword made. Yes, that was that was pretty. Cool. I thought it was beautifully described, and it was yeah. just such a great, you know, scene to imagine. I remember um, trying to draw this what I thought the sword looked like a lot. Well, I was hoping we would get to see like that in the movie. Like, what what is their interpretation of what the sword you like? you kind of got to see it, but it was just a normal sword that he set on fire, and not his actual. Nice one. Yeah, I think it was Brahm's sword that he had, actually. Yeah, yeah, it was the the red bladed. He one did have the red. They did the red awful with. I feel like I did not like the way it looked at all. Um, what was it that I was gonna say? It's making me want to read those books again. I know, even though I had gripes with them, I want to go back and read. Those. Uh, so not related to the movie, but uh, in Inheritance, I believe it is. Uh the mystical elf tree, the, the woman that turned into a tree or something that he communicates with and then blesses him with like half elfness or whatever. Yeah. There there was a a mentioning of a trade, right? She wanted something for him in exchange for what she had for him. Mm-hmm. And it never told you what she took. 
never said anything. Oh. He had a little tingle in his body somewhere, but other than that, it never said. And I was like, what? what is the tree going to take? Except maybe, like, the tree maybe wants to have it took his gold a child. <laughs> she took well, his virginity. <laughs> but it was just I mean, Yeah, that was basically where I was going with it. My thought would be that, you know, the tree wants, you know, obviously he's got strong blood in his veins you know he's a he's come really far from being a little farmer boy uh so mix that dna with whatever dna the tree has he's got a rich that the tree wanted to have a a child and i was like why did they never go in or i guess he why did the author never go into what the tree had taken why the story behind that the how it progressed because it's just Oh, I felt a tingle. Well, that's it. We're never going to cover that again, except in passing. Oh, yeah, the tree took something from me. I wonder what that was. Well, has he ever gone and explained why it was... He just kind of left so many things unanswered? Because I know the last book, the very ending, felt rushed. Like, he was just like, I got to get it done. I got to get this over with. It it felt to me like he had pressure from the publishers. That's probably it. Uh, and also the movie kind of flopped when it came out, so he had, like, he might have had this pressure to, you know, redeem himself. Well, if... In some some weird way, even though he's, like, he didn't produce the movie himself, obviously. Uh, have you guys watched Game of Thrones? No, a single episode. And, uh, nope. Well, just the series. That is the epitome of very good start very bad end and i think you guys have probably heard that a million times was that well and it was so weird because um i think the end of the series he hasn't written that last book yet he's probably never going to write that last book he's old he's made enough money he doesn't need to (laughs) well and he's old as hell so he's putting it off and putting it off so he's probably never going to write it which is a tragedy um but Basically, I think the story was the writers got um, an offer to do Star Wars. And so they just kind of half-assed the Game of Thrones series because they were like, we got to finish writing this so we can go do Star Wars because that's going to be way better than this. Um, yeah, and then I think I think they didn't actually get to write for Star Wars. <clears throat> Which is also sad. When you brought up Rotten Tomatoes, I looked up the Percy Jackson movie, by the way. Like 46 or 36 or something? Or 64? Uh, audience score is 53. Oof. But the uh, the film critic score is 49. And when the audience score and the film critic score match that much, there's a problem. No, it's a Garbo movie. Yeah. Carl, are you still eating dinner, my boy? I'll take that as a yes. Probably. I was going to ask him about Ender's Game. I've never read Ender's Game, actually. I have not either. What is Ender's Game? Uh, It's like space, like military space-themed sort of thing. It's like space. Oh, he put in chat BRB. Yeah, he said it'd be a beat. 
didn't have it up to We can talk about other things while we wait on Crab. Why don't you go, because uh, I want to hear you go into the differences between The Hobbit and Book and The Hobbit movie. Because uh, you brought <laughs> up one of the big differences, which is that side, well, that side story. The book was uh, one book, a bedtime story that Tolkien wrote for his kids. The movie series was a trilogy of epic fantasy movies that did not need to be a trilogy. Yeah. It when it was originally the the when the movies were originally written, it was supposed to be two two movies because they were gonna they were gonna bank off the success of Lord of the Rings and like add some of that extra into it. But again, the studio mandated that it be a trilogy. So they had to inflate the story. They, they, I think they did do some nice pulls and add a, a couple extra things that are implied to have happened in the uh, the actual books, like the universe that Tolkien created, like the uh, the fight with Sauron in um, but in a what's it called the in, in the Mirkwood Fortress. Mm-hmm. Where Elrond was there, and Gandalf and Radagast, and um, that that is that allegedly happened in the in the in the world, but I don't think it was ever confirmed. Well, in Gandalf's whole going off and doing things, none of that was talked about in the book. It was all just Gandalf. No, in going off in the book, things. it was uh, Gandalf left to be, to take care of something, just because Tolkien wanted to write a part of the story that didn't have. Like that had a little bit more danger that didn't have their like guardian of Gandalf being there with them. Yeah. Then it was uh, it was changed to be supposedly Gandalf went off and did something in Barad-dûr or with like with Gollum or something. Or like in the movie, he went to find the the temple. Yeah. Or the the grave of the uh, the uh, Ringwraiths. That kind of thing. I, I like how Tolkien kind of in, invented also the the image of the mentor character. Because oh, if you look at... Is. Well, Gandalf. Because if you oh, look Gandalf. at... Gandalf is like the stereotypical mentor character, right? Mm-hmm. Big Beard tells you what the thing is that you got to do. Kind of shows you uh, what you that was, do. He was based on Merlin. Merlin from Arthurian legend. Well, if you what look, that character archetype? if you look at other mentor characters, the people that play the mentor, they all kind of fit that Gandalf description, though. Even in the anime, old man. yeah, even yeah. in anime, Dragon Ball Z, the first mentor character, what's that old guy's name? Roshi, Master yeah. Roshi. He's got that white, long white beard, old wizened man. Isn't it a little goatee? I think I think it's just a. a a, a trope of storytelling though yeah in general i just think because uh, of course an old man would be wise. more experienced and wise well it's just when you think mentor character you think of people yeah. like like dumbledore gandalf they all fit dumbledore. that kind of hey this gandalf is was certainly an, an inspiration for a lot of those characters that came after him honestly i'm thinking if i ever write a book and publish it i'm gonna wait for somebody to contact me 
and be like, hey, I would love to make a movie out of your book rather than try and seek out somebody to do it. Because if somebody contacts me, then I know it's like they like it. They want to do it. It may also be they see money in it. Well, that, but also, you know, well, it's like with Peter Jackson, right? He, Mm -hmm. that was his passion project. It was a pa- it was a passion well, project he started, and and to be fair, even if they do see money, like taking a book series and making it into a movie, at the very least they've heard of the book and know that it's very yeah. popular. So like, they have a little bit more um, motivation to do it right. You know what I would love to see in movie form. I can think of a lot of things. Uh, Suzanne Collins, before she wrote The Hunger Games. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Uh, You've read The Hunger, or seen The Hunger Games, right, Chance? Um, Parents all of them. Uh, Before she wrote The Hunger Games, she wrote a series called Gregor the Overlander. That is my favorite book series of all time. Gregor the Overlander? Yes. Basically, basically, it's this boy from New York who's like, he has a mom, but he's virtually raising his his five-year-old sister whose name is Boots. That's her nickname, but her name is Boots because she has these boots that she likes to wear. And basically, he, I don't remember exactly how it happens because it's been a while since I've read it, but he somehow ends up falling through the sewer systems of New York, right? And he gets transported to this world where there are people with almost see-through skin and white hair and, you know, they're of all ages. There's gigantic rats and cockroaches and basically anything you would see in an underground sewer, it's massive. And it's cave systems. And um, basically it's the story of the Overlander, who's Gregor, because he came from the land above. Um, becoming the hero of this world because the rats and the humans are at war. Um, and this is where, when I talked about the mentor character, it kind of deviates because the mentor character in the Gregor the Overland series is a giant rat named Riprid, hmm. who basically teaches Gregor how to fight with a sword and use echolocation to fight in the dark. It's a very, very good series. I really recommend it. I liked it way better than I liked the Hunger Games series. What's a, a good 12-book series that I think would make a, a good <laughs> TV show or movie What series adaptation? Well, with the, the show format being more popular now, it would make a really good like series, like if maybe a season or two, if they could get a good amount of it in. What what which one are you talking about, Chains? The Rangers Apprentice. I don't know if you guys have ever read those books. No. Super good. I haven't read them since probably tenth grade, but super good books. There's twelve of them in the series. It follows this kid who uh, well starts off as a kid, and then like three or four books in, it skips to him as an adult, and then it does a backtrack to tell kind of the story of what happened in between childhood and adulthood uh so it's a very interesting timeline 
but it's uh, the first book is called The Ruins of Gorlon. I would highly suggest reading the series. Uh, kids get to choose. Well, I don't know if they choose or if it's chosen for them. A uh, someone to an apprentice under, right? So if you show skills as a fighter, you'll apprentice under a warrior. If you have skills of baking or uh, it, it, anything that they do in the, the castle, right? They've got masters of it, and then the masters take apprentices. It's all about this kid's apprentice, uh, apprenticeship? Apprentice? Yeah, apprenticeship. Apprenticeship under this other ranger, and then later on his, uh, his own stories of being a ranger. Uh, very good details, very good descriptions. Uh, the guy knows his weapons. Like, he knows how bow and arrows work, right? He knows the physics behind it. He knows kind of what is possible in the realm of archery, which is a big issue I have with anything that covers archery, is <laughs> if they don't know the physics and laws of archery, then they they show shots that are just impossible or, or arrows fly in ways that are not meant, that it's not natural and it, it ruins everything for me. Carvile. Hmm. Before you get into Ender's Game, because I don't think any of us have read it or seen the movie, okay. will you give us a brief synopsis of what it's about? Uh, Yes, but I will have to go here in a few minutes because I think my sister's getting ready to leave. So, but yeah, I will give a quick, a a quick, a quick thing. So basically, it's kind of a dystopian future. I, I at least I would consider it that way. Um, but so these aliens came and attacked earth and then humans were like hey no don't do that and they're like okay bye and they came back and they were like hey we're attacking you again because we're doing it um <laughs> and so this one dude who later became considered a hero just wiped out all of them in the second invasion well and then they started doing it a third time and they're like hey killed a bunch of us now we're gonna attack you again <laughs> and so they are now in this like apocalyptic thing and uh children are taught and raised specifically to become like military personnel whether whether it be like fighters or like generals and strategists or whatever uh, the main character, Andrew Ender Wigan, uh, is basically a super genius strategist. Like, he's getting, like, the absolute top marks throughout all of the schooling and everything. Uh, and so he gets sent to this space school thing to learn more about being a, being a, being a dude. Uh, and then... Uh, slight spoilers ahead. They are like training him and his classmates and everything, and he's like taking command and being like, "Hey, 
you guys do this, you guys do this, and then main main people do that. And then they're like winning these simulated battles and everything, and then it gets to a certain point where all of a sudden they get to like the final test of his schooling and stuff and he pulls this crazy maneuver and wipes out all of them like the whole planet just gone and they're all celebrating they're like yeah we did it we beat the we beat the simulation we beat the game and then he goes and talks to the like main general teacher dudes of the school and they're like, yeah, that wasn't a game. That that was the real thing. Damn. And he was like, we we just genocided the entire species. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you, pretty awesome, right? And he's like, no. And they're like, what matters is that what, that we won. And it's one of my favorite quotes in the whole book and movie. And Ender looks back at him and screams. The way we win matters. And I'm just like, Andrew's a good kid. Damn. Just saying. Um, but yeah, so, and it it basically just ends with him going off into space to try to right his wrongs. And that Oof. was my sister. They're getting ready to leave. I'll be right back. Okay. That kind of plays into the thing we were talking about in the first episode. Where I asked about the soldiers mm-hmm. and like basically making the soldiers think they're in a simulation or a game using mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah that is possible yeah. that's a thing that could possibly actually happen high fantasy no not really but that pretty possible I had never. I've actually. I've heard of Ender's Game, but I'd never read it, seen the movie. I didn't even know there was a movie. I knew there was a book. Ready Player One was a book too, right? Yeah. There's gonna be a second movie, by the way. Ready Player Two. Really. Yep. I liked the concept in in Ready Player One. Yeah, it was good. I was sad it took me so long to actually watch the movie, just because I hadn't had an opportunity to until it was out on like I think I watched the full movie like a couple of weeks ago for the first time you mentioned at one point that Fortnite was basically trying to become Ready Player One right? Yeah uh, they're trying to eventually not just be a video game right? They're trying to get to a point where it is a it's almost like the crossroads of all things, right? So they have all these Marvel crossovers. They have uh, Ghostbusters. They've got The Matrix. They've got all these various pop culture Batman. crossovers. Batman, yeah. Uh, the Rock's in there, for crying out loud, right? Uh, so eventually, they're opening up at some point the capability to do modding in Fortnite. So you can literally create anything. And they already have kind of like this social hub for Fortnite. Uh, So people just go to this specific island and they hold events there. They do concerts every once in a while. 
you can screw around, play games. They basically want to create the base crossroads for all other virtual worlds. So almost like a metaverse? Yeah, to a degree. Yeah. Which I feel like that's something they would have to compete with. Yeah, the metaverse. I don't know how well I don't know how well Facebook is gonna do with that though, because as far as I can tell, they're basically on the brink of dying. Well, and it's it, it's also a huge money scheme. They're already oh, yeah. like selling NFTs and yeah. uh, there's people selling NFTs of women that you can purchase, and then when the metaverse fully comes out. Your girlfriend that you bought will be in the metaverse. Yeah. Ew. It's that's... gross. You can um. There's options on Twitter now to buy NFTs for as your profile picture. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes it a hexagon, so I just block everyone with a hexagon profile picture. There's um already people buying property in the metaverse, like spending real money. Yeah. Snoop Dogg dropped bank on some. Metaverse fair, Snoop Dogg can well, afford to. <laughs> you know that's right. already a thing, right? Yeah. There's a there's a game called Second Life where that is a that is a thing. Yeah. There's a major economy based around Second Life and buying property in this MMO, like actual real money used to buy digital space. It's been around for forever. It's just, you know, it's becoming a lot more mainstream. Well, I I just don't like the idea of using NFTs to do that. Because the yeah. profit they're buying is done through NFTs. Like, mm. people actually take NFTs of their actual house and sell it in the metaverse. That's mm. odd. It's very strange. That's <laughs> I mean, that's shit, if I could buy a, a Snoop Dogg mansion for my metaverse property... Be sick. I'd actually be have to have Snoop Dogg money at that point, too. Well, that's yeah, true. because... Well, and even then, it may be even more. Like, the I'll NFT may cost more than Snoop Dogg's house. Yeah, yeah, probably at least twice as much because of how it's a false inflated economy. It keeps going. You'll you'll buy your, your actual house in physical space, and then you'll have to buy it again as an NFT to use it in digital space. Which is crazy and to think about. ten times more in the I digital space. I feel like at, at some point you get to a point where like anytime you make a big purchase in real life, it would come with its own NFT yeah, to utilize. have to make it cost ten times more just so they have a profit. That's insane to think about, though. Yeah. <laughs> right? You buy a house, it comes with its very own NFT, you just load that download that shit can you imagine apartment building nfts nft apartments within the metaverse Oof. don't tell me about that oh my god dude you you like you're living in an apartment if you're living in an apartment in the metaverse you're fucking doing your second life wrong yeah <laughs> i mean if it was like Ready Player One, where your like avatar was anything you could be anything you wanted to be, yeah. do anything you wanted to do, but it seems very heavily advertised and like like advertisers buy spaces in the metaverse to advertise their products. Oh, you know what's actually really funny about? Sorry, I came late to the conversation, but uh, what's really funny about drawing the comparison to Ready Player One is. 
the current metaverse is basically the IOI version of the Ready Player One Oasis, where it's filled <laughs> with advertisements and in-app purchases and all kinds of stuff. It's... We're basically living the sad version of Ready Player One. Can you imagine you're in your metaverse job and you go to read your metaverse email and you have to watch it? A... Uh... 20 second ad before you can open your boss's email and then your work is late because you had to watch this 20 second ad so you can't respond to the email at time. and the ad pauses if you take off the headset yeah well that chris you were i don't think you watched the first episode but there's a movie company that is already using or, or attempting to use face track technology to make sure your eyes are on the screen where they, when there's an ad, and if you take your eyes off of the screen, it pauses the ad. That's some Black Mirror shit right there. Yeah. <laughs> the whole first episode was basically just a conversation about Black Mirror shit. Pretty and much. The direction. I, I, I talked about cyberpunk a lot in the first episode, because a lot of the things that go to that come in hand with Neuralink elon musk's thing that he's working on right now is very cyberpunk-esque hey carl you want to get started on ender's game i'm going to go grab yeah. something real quick so gave you the quick synopsis um so if you ask me the ender's game movie is in my opinion the best film adaptation of a book that I've ever seen. Like, it is almost well, like, word for word translated. And obviously they had to skip some stuff to save time, but like hot dog. Um. So basically it sets up Ender as being like a master strategist because in his school he gets bullied for being the smartest one because like that's how bullies work apparently um but uh the scene that demonstrates it is the bully and his i think two friends it's been a minute since i've seen it but i think it's two friends are like they've got ender in a class an empty classroom and they're the two friends are like holding his arms so he can't fight back and the other bully's all up in his face like oh, what are you going to do and ender's ender looks at me and is like if you're so tough do you really need your boys to be holding me back and the dude just glares at him and he motions for his boys to let him go and that's when ender strikes is when he's divided the numbers up and everything so it's like heck yeah and uh it kind of foreshadows his whole genocide thing because he takes this like artifact type thing off of one of the desks that's basically the like an alien claw and he starts beating the beating the bully kid with it like hitting him in the face and everything bloodying him up real bad Jesus. and then when he gets in trouble for it he looks at the the main principal i guess of the school and says that he wanted to win all future battles which is like a huge foreshadow to his whole i'm i'm a genocide the aliens <laughs> thing um so he goes to the military school which 
to me is like it, it's not like exactly how I pictured it, but it it's very similar to how it's described in the book. It's this it's this big like spinning station that's got a big like glass sphere in it where they do training for zero gravity battles and stuff. Hmm. Um, the aliens are called Formics in the books. I don't think... Oh, no. the They're called Formics in both the book and the movie. I have it written down here. Um, and in the books, they're given the nickname Buggers because they look like giant ants basically that they should look funny because i think bugger yeah. is slang for anal sex right i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> but like they they also behave very similarly to ants they've got like the queen that controls the workers and like fighting ants and stuff um and it go it goes into the whole like why are they doing this? It doesn't really matter. They're invading us. We've got to fight back. But like why? Like why do we have to fight back? Why can't we have diplomatic discussions? And it's like we tried that. It didn't work. <laughs> did, did you really try it? Yes, I promise we tried it. They didn't really try it. Um but like it it goes it goes through and um like i mentioned before the training of ender and his like classmates just looks like simulations basically real time strategy games um and like everything they do corresponds to something that's happening on the screen so they're just like oh we're just playing a game basically and they they lose quite a bit and then all of a sudden they're like it doesn't matter if it's a game you're here to get better and to win and so they're like okay and then they start winning and then global genocide <laughs> happens that isn't uh, that how it goes though pretty much <laughs> Uh, the, oh, the main, the main general commander dude, uh, commander Graf, played by Harrison Ford, is the one that Ender yells at, saying the way we win matters and everything. And, like, the reason Ender decides to go on his riding the wrongs quest is because the queen kind of, like, hacked into his... Uh, his like personal training game thing somehow like telepathically and was like showing him visions of stuff and then eventually like somehow got into his brain and showed him visions of like their world and stuff like that it was real weird but it looked super cool in the movie <laughs> Um, and so he was like you know what these things aren't so bad. I'm going to go figure out what's going on with them. And both the book, Ender's Game, and the movie end on the same cliffhanger of him going off doing his thing. Um, 
I'm kind of saddened about it because so far there's only the one movie and there's no indication that they're going to do any more. But there are 19 publications in the series. Jesus. Dang. There are... There are also... um, uh, Let's see. One, two, three, four actual, like, series that make up the overarching story, and then one collection of short stories. There's the Ender series, uh, the Shadow Saga, the Formic Wars series, and the Fleet School series, and that they cover, like, the entire span of First Invasion, Second Invasion, Third Invasion, and Ender going off to do his writing his wrongs quest thing and it's uh the only film adaptation is based on the very first novel which enders game and like i said no pot no information about potential sequels but it would be super cool to see him but yeah um on a scale on a scale. How would you rate the adaptation? Like, you're going 1 to 10. 1 to 10, I would... I would give it, like, a solid 9. Really? That's good. Solid 9, maybe higher, because everything that they were actually able to keep from the book to the movie was pretty dang accurate. Like, it was almost 1 to 1 for everything that they could actually keep. For Percy Jackson the Lightning Thief, I would give that give it a four. I Just because they four. changed so much. It was a yeah. good it was a decent movie. Like if you hadn't read the Percy Jackson series, it was a yeah. good movie. But it, in the in in this the context of adaptation from book to movie, it's a four. Aragon's a one or a two. <laughs> I agree with that. Probably leaning towards one. Uh, if you had to rate the Lord of the Rings series or the Hobbit series, or you could do uh, Lord of the Rings is a nine out of ten. Yeah, very good. Uh, the Hobbit, I'd probably give a four or a five. Probably a four. I think same. It's with the Hobbit is the same situation as Percy Jackson. Mm-hmm. It was a great movie. It was like a decent movie. But in context of an adaptation from book to movie, it wasn't good. Like, if you read the book, it just... You get frustrated. Alright, I think, uh, looking at Chris, he looks like he's gonna die. Uh, Sorry. He's gotta go to work, and he's probably very tired, because he has not slept. I'm sick, too. And he's also sick. Uh, So we should go ahead and sign off for the night. I don't know how long we've been streaming, but it's definitely long enough. Almost two hours. Cargo, you want to give us a you want to give us an out? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I w- I wasn't prepared for this. Uh, <laughs> I guess just all in all, thanks to everyone who stopped by. Thanks for watching. Um, thanks for any input you've given us, or will give us if you decide to. Um, 
be great for you to stick around. Check us out on where are we available? Uh, right now, uh, let me pull up the list. You'll probably be able to see it on stream. Uh, we're available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcast, Podcast Index, Listen Notes, the RSS community, if you want to pull that up, and a... Was that the Moo Mixer on your screen? That was the Moo Mixer on my screen. Don't bring it up. Uh, and uh, one other publication thing that i don't remember uh reason podcasts which is an app uh gilbert godfried has a podcast on it oh uh, dude if we're on the same website as gilbert godfried you know you should definitely <laughs> stick around for future episodes for sure i really i want to know the commenters uh thoughts on which stage of beard growth am i you're probably you're the, the final stage. You're the final stage. You are definitely the final stage because yours is the cleanest and the most uniform across your face. It would. Probably, I haven't even shaved in like two weeks. It would probably go Chris as the the first one just because he hasn't grown. Yeah. One. And then it would go. Hey, you want to know something funny? What? I'm in the same boat as Chance. I haven't shaved in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to know what's disappointing? I haven't shaved in probably over a year now and i still look like this <laughs> oh so it probably goes chris me carl chance i think the last time i shaved was like right before it, it was like a couple weeks before the last time we went to fuji i think carl actually looks decent chance you look great oh I, I look much worse in person oh, that's uh, a mess. chris just doesn't have one really and mine is just a full-on neck beard that you can see through I feel that. So basically what I'm saying is I need to shave. So I'm going to go do that. Anybody <laughs> watch, have a good night. Uh, we love you very much. This is a sign off. See you later, motherfuckers. Bye. Peace. Peace.